Will you turn with me in your Bible, please, to Joshua chapter 7? Joshua chapter 7. This weekend is a weird weekend for me personally, to be honest with you, because I served in the military, and so Memorial Day has a different meaning for me than it does uh, most of the time. And I remember coming back from Iraq on an airplane, and I was flying in, and it was uh, dark overnight, and the, the flight back from Iraq took like three days. So I flew from Baghdad. I got stuck in Baghdad for a little while waiting for a flight. Found a sleeping bag, though. <laughs> Just there on the ground. So that was mine. I still have it to this day. Anyway, it's a good sleeping bag. So I'm just in Baghdad just waiting. And when you leave, they take your weapons and hold them. And so I flew from Baghdad International to Kuwait. And I was in Kuwait for like two days waiting for a flight out of Kuwait to Turkey, to Germany, to wherever we were going, Toronto, to all over the place to get to where we were going. And so I'm waiting for the flight. I remember being in Kuwait. And I went to the little dining facility. And it's the desert. It's Kuwait's just desert. It's weird desert. If you've ever been to the like really for really desert, like we had long sleeves on, and when you sweat, the sweat would come out, and you're sweating because it's hot. That's kind of gross. I'm sorry. But by the time it hit your hand, it would evaporate because it's so hot outside. And so there's always this weird feeling of wet but dry. It was so strange. And so there I am in Kuwait, and I went to the dining facility, and I ate. And I had a panic attack because I walked out of the dining facility and I just felt for my weapon, which I always did. So I always kept my pistol and my radio clipped onto my holster. So I did a little check and I just, I panicked because I didn't, I didn't have my sidearm. I didn't know what to do. And it took me five minutes to realize like, I'm in Kuwait now. I'm not, I'm not in Iraq, I'm in Kuwait. And it was such a weird feeling to be unarmed. It's a weird feeling to celebrate Memorial Day because it's different when you've been through those kind of experiences. Today I want to talk to you from the Bible because sometimes, especially on Memorial Day, churches have this way of becoming so American that we stop even being Christian. And I love Jesus, and I love America. I love Jesus more. And the reality is we can be great patriots, and we're going to pray right now for all the families around the world who have lost people, but particularly our soldiers who gave the ultimate sacrifice for Memorial Day, it's a big deal. And those families affected, it's a big deal. To have the freedoms we have is unbelievable. You know, even, even now, you understand, churches are being shut down in Canada, churches are being shut down across Europe. It's interesting what's happening in our days. And so the fact that we have the freedom to worship and to come and serve the Lord is, let's not take it for granted. And the people who gave sacrifices for that. But we come to Jesus and honor him first because we are not American Christians. We're just Christians, and then we're Americans. Does that make sense? So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all those people who gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. Lord, as we come to this Memorial Day, Father, I pray that you would use this holiday and this time of remembrance, Lord, to bring peace to the hearts of all those families who feel the holes and what it feels like to really bear the weight of the sacrifice and the freedom for the freedom that we have. Lord, thank you for our nation. Father, I pray for righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit that that would resound throughout the nation of the United States. Lord, let us be a nation who seeks you. Let us be a nation who is known for our righteousness. Let us be a nation who is known for our justice, Father. And we see examples of injustice everywhere. And so, Father, on this Memorial Day, we pause to say thank you for all those people who sacrificed for us. And we also ask you, Lord, help us, God, 
that we would be an honor to you. Lord, that our nation would, would resemble your kingdom in every way, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 7. This is going to be a weird passage, so bear with me a little bit. This point in Joshua, the people of Israel have come out of slavery in Egypt. They have left the Egyptians. God has delivered them through Moses. Now they have come out. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've lived in the wilderness. God is moving them around. And the ultimate goal that God has for his people is that not that they would remain slaves in, in Egypt any longer, but now they would come out and they would be given the promised land that he had promised their forefathers. And so they would come and they would inhabit this land and it would be a blessing to them. The uh, Bible talks about a land flowing with milk and honey, which just means it's a great land. And so they're coming to this land, and they have to cross the Jordan River to get into it. And so spies go into the land, 12 spies, one from each tribe. There's 12 tribes of Israel, of the Israelites. And so they go into the promised land, and they're looking out, and surely it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But there are people there. There are wicked people there who are big and strong, and they're afraid of them. Because you have to remember, the Israelites, they weren't soldiers. They weren't some great society that God you know, whisked out of the sea like Atlantis before it was falling, and they you know, set them down and gave them all this special technology or something. They were just people. In fact, they were slaves. So largely uneducated people. And they had been in slavery for 400 years. That's a long time. And so they were basically culturally Egyptian. And so now as they're coming to the Jordan River and they're looking at these giant people, they're not thinking, we can do it. They're also not thinking, God can do it. They're thinking, we're in trouble. And so they come back, and the spies give a bad report, and then the people lament to God, and they say, Lord, why have you brought us out here into the desert that our children would be slaughtered? And so the Lord says, because of your unbelief, I'll show you what I'll do with the children. And for a whole generation, they wander in the, in the wilderness until that unbelieving generation dies out, and a new generation comes up. Can you imagine? These are scary things. We kind of read over it in history, and it's like, oh, 400 years, no big deal. Okay, 40 years, no big deal. This is somebody's whole life. So now the children who have grown up eating manna from heaven in the desert because there's no food supply, all they've known their whole life is the quail meat that God's given them and the manna bread that falls from the sky. And if they take too much of that bread, what happens? Do you remember? It rots. So every day they get a portion of bread. If they try to hoard it together and take too much and hide it in their tents, then by the morning it is gross and disgusting and rotten, and it's not good. But when it's good, it tastes like honey, and it's, it's good. It's all they've got, so they kind of get tired of it a little bit. But incredible. Water is literally flowing out of rocks for these people. You know, their shoes don't wear out which is astounding. Also going to be astounding if I fall off this, so I'm going to move this back a little bit. <laughs> whew, that was <laughs> not going to be fun. Okay. So they're having, I mean, there's miracle after miracle. Imagine for a moment you are a child who's grown up. Caleb and a guy named Joshua. Joshua is going to be the new leader after Moses. They are leading the people, and Joshua in particular, he is following God, and things seem good, and they're, they're excited about this, those two actually spied out the land and had a good report. So they're the, only, they're the oldest people that are around. Everybody else were kids that grew up. Everybody else, ready for this, buried their parents in the wilderness. That's weird. That's different. 
feeling than just like, oh, promised land. And so now they cross the Jordan River, and Joshua says, hey, we're going to go fight this big city called Jericho. And Jericho has six-foot-thick walls. It's an impregnable. It, this place is a fortress of fortresses. At the, in fact, archaeologists now have found they can't even figure out exactly how the walls were built because they're so advanced. They were, it, was, it was a city unlike any that anybody had ever seen. And so now they come up to this city, and the walls are so big, and Joshua says, we're going to take this city for God, meaning militarily. And the people are looking at him like, we grew up on manna. What do we know about this stuff? You're the oldest guy here, Joshua. Who's going to teach us about being a soldier? He says, I'll teach you. The Lord will fight for us. We'll be fine. This is not, this is not a great feeling. And so they come, and they come to Jericho, and what does God tell them to do? Do you remember the story? He says, march around the city. So they march around the city all these times for all these days, and on the last day, they blow trumpets, and the walls crumble, and God gives them the city. And the Lord fights for them. It's an incredible story. And when that happens, there's a guy, his name is Achan. And Achan goes running into the city. He's part of the soldiers. And he goes in, and he's fighting, and they're taking the city. It's a military thing, and that's a whole other discussion. Let's have coffee, and we talk about that. But Achan goes in, and he's going to sin. And so we're going to read here in Joshua chapter 7 about Achan's sin. And because of Achan's sin, the Israelites who have seen how God fights for them, they know that God parted the Red Sea. They know that God delivered them. They know that, the, that God has preserved their shoes. They know that God has preserved them with food. They know that water has flowed from rocks. They know the Lord is with them because there's a pillar of fire leading them. They know God's presence. And now they are going to fight the next city called Ai, and they go to Ai and they, with 3,000 guys, and 36 of them are killed right away. And they run away in terror. Because, again, they're not soldiers. They're just kids who grew up in the wilderness. And so Joshua goes and he cries before the Lord. So let's read together Joshua chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 6. Here's what it says. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord, that's like the, ark, the Lord's throne, until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to live and dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land, they will hear of it and they will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. You ever had God say that to you? Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have been devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought out near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come out by household. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who has taken the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, 
because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of Zeheratites was taken. And he brought the clan of Zeheratites man by man, and Zebdi was taken. And Zebdi was taken. And he brought near the household man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zebdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done, and do not hide it from me. Let's pause there for a second at verse 20. What's happening in this story? The people were told, when you go into Jericho, take nothing. Take nothing. No ox, no lamb, no person, no treasure, no nothing. Some things got carried away and put into like the temple area thing. Pretty much everything is just totally destroyed, destroyed with fire. This happens because God is bringing judgment on a people who refuse to obey him and a people who are wicked in their way. Again, we'll have coffee about that. That's a whole other discussion. But in doing so, God tells the people, these things are devoted for destruction. Devoted for destruction. And so God makes a line, if you will. And he says, you're my people. And this is something you cannot touch. Don't take any of it. Destroy it. The people go in and they have this expectation that they're going to destroy everything. And Achan goes in and he sees something. And he's about to confess to his sin. And he takes something. And so God comes now. People are not being, not winning in battle. All these bad things are happening. And so the Lord says to Joshua, we're going to draw lots. Do you know how they used to do lots? They used to take these little sticks, basically. One of them was short, like the short straw, you know, and you just hold them out. And so the understanding was, let's trust the Lord, not fate. Let's trust the Lord. He's going to direct these and he'll show us what happens. And so they're directing these things down until here's Achan, a guy. Now from millions to one guy is what's happened in these lots. This is not the lottery by chance. And he's standing now before one of the oldest guys in the whole community who says to him, my son, give glory to God. What have you done? And let's read verse 20. Here's what it says. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and they brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire and stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. This is a terrible story. It's not a fun story. 
Here's the problem. Achan had grown up seeing God's presence. He had grown up seeing God's mercy. He had grown up seeing God's severity with his own parents even. He had grown up seeing manna as it falls every day. And he had gotten used to the rot, I think. Now he came into this place of Jericho where the things are devoted for destruction. And he sees this portion that's there. Silver and gold and this beautiful armor thing. And he likes it and he wants it. He covets it and he takes it. And see, he had been used to God's punishment now for all these years being long and being light in comparison. So yes, he buried his parents in the desert, but isn't it funny how younger generations suddenly think that they're more evolved and they're never going to do what their parents did and they're not going to make the same mistakes and all these kind of things. Achan had grown up seeing the manna. He knew what would happen if you take too much. What happened? It rotted. And he saw this thing that was devoted for destruction. And knowing that God's mercy looked like all this rotted stuff when you just get rid of it, he took this stuff and he did what all the Israelites did when they took too much manna and hid it in his tent. It's really funny when you're in the desert, it's really bright because there's nothing to really block the sun. And sometimes it can kind of reflect off things. It's just bright. So when you walk out of the sunlight into a tent, it's suddenly very dark. And have you ever been kind of blinded by the darkness? And so here's Achan who takes his spoils from this battle. And he comes into his tent blinded by the darkness and digs a hole and puts the stuff in there and decides to cover it up. And these things that he took was worth about a year's salary. So he, it was a big deal to him. This was a lot of money. This was an expensive thing. And so he took it and he put it there and went about his business. And very shortly after, the people go on with God's business and what they've told, been told to do. And so they go and and follow him faithfully and do what he said. And as they go out and do these things, now they're confronted with total defeat. And people have died because of it. And here's the problem. I read this story and I think, oh, Achan, this is, my heart aches for him, no pun intended. Because here's a guy, he messed up. Like, Lord, why are you so angry with him? Why can't you be more generous with this guy? But the reality is he took, he took this, Stuff that was devoted for destruction. He put it in his tent. And God had told him, if you take that now, you're becoming devoted as well. And so he and his household with him, he had taken the things to align himself with Jericho instead of with what God was doing. And the price of it was not just rotted stuff. The price of it was other families now. 36 families who've lost people who are crying out to God for justice, and what happened? And all the elders covered with dust and tearing their clothes and coming before God, and God says, stand up, someone sinned. And here's Achan now, discovered and found out. And they go to the tent, and they find these things devoted for, for destruction. And see, he's, he's allied himself with them. He's put himself in that place. And so now everything he has gets placed there too. You notice even his tent, they take everything. And you think, well, the oxen, what did the oxen do? What did his children do? This is terrible. But his whole family now becomes devoted, like Jericho, to this fate. This is a terrible thing. What does it teach us about God? You know, after this happens, the Lord takes away his discipline on the people, his burning anger. This Valley of Achor is an interesting name. 
That name in Hebrew means gloom or dejection. It's a place of gloom and dejection. What we find about God is that God, though he is loving and kind, though he is love, he also is sternly against sin. He hates sin. God has really two ways that he deals with things, either with favor or with discipline. And we find that God, he doesn't really mince words here. He tells Joshua that because these people have taken these things devoted for destruction and brought them into the camp and gone against his word, he's taken the whole people and put them in a place against what God has said. And so Achan's sin affects everyone. It, doesn't it just give you this pit in your stomach of, it's a terrible story. So much so that they stone Achan and the family. They burn that thing and they stone it again. So this giant pile of stones are there. It's, it's awful in every way. And this causes a relenting of God's anger on this sin. Why? Because now the righteousness has been dealt with to bring the people back into the covenant. We find two things about God. One, he hates sin. And second, he is totally faithful to his covenant. And he told the people, do not take these devoted things. Why am I saying this to us today? I'm saying this to us today because sometimes I think that we get so casual with grace. We get so casual with how we live before God and that he doesn't really care how we live or what sin looks like. Sometimes we get so flippant in how we behave and what we think and what we do that we forget that God is both the God of total loving kindness and also the God who is severe. I'm bringing this up to us today because as I am pondering and reflecting and thinking on all the great things that God has done, I also want us to remember that his grace is not cheap. Sometimes we think that grace, the definition of grace is favored unmerited, unearned favor of God. But that favor was not cheap. It came at a giant price, and that price was his son. You know, there's going to become another from the same tribe, the tribe of Judah. God would send his own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus would come on the scene. He would change everything. He would change around what everybody thought about who God was and what he looked like because suddenly God become flesh for us. The word walking, the demonstration of who God was, it is Jesus because he is God. And he walked on the earth and he's showing us how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do. He's teaching us all about how to love people and he's teaching us about what it means to walk with God. But there's a big problem and that big problem is that this sin stuff that Achan had experienced and the anger that God has against sin that looks like this story is not dealt with by just being a good person. When I was in the military, I had a friend and I went away to training with him and he was like Rambo on steroids. I mean, this guy was, he, he was quintessential soldier, huge. Like he couldn't do push-ups because his chest was so big. He just, uh, uh, I'm doing push-ups. This guy was a beast. He was huge. And he was the guy that everybody assumed, like, this guy is going to be the number one guy. He's the guy for sure. And we were five days into a major training evaluation. And this evaluation was so serious. And the time frame for me was 2003. So we had just gone into Iraq. We were already in Afghanistan. And we were being told, while I was in this training with my friend and I, that we were going to be graduated early from college so we could go take troops downrange and we were going to have to go fight in the war and then come back and finish school. They literally sat us in a room and told us that and said, tell your families the orders are coming. 
It was a mess. 9-11 happened 10 days after I signed my papers where I was fully in the military and invested. One of my friends, other friends in this evaluation I'm talking about in 2003, he signed the papers, he's in, and for whatever reason, he had some kind of problem, and he's doing push-ups, and he, you know, there's a physical test. You have to pass all the tests, which I would not now, unfortunately. But he had to pass all the tests, and he missed the push-ups by two. He was too short. And I saw him, and I said, hey, man, what's going on? You, you failed the push-ups? Like, we had trained and trained and trained. How do you fail the push-ups? The minimum standard? Like, come on, man, you're, you're fit. What happened? He goes, I don't know. Something's in my head. I don't know. So the next day, I see him out there, and he's running. He's doing the test again. They, get, they let him retake it. Failed again by one push-up. Two weeks later, he was a private in Afghanistan. This is over. He was on track to be a leader. He was on track to be an officer. He was on track to you know, lead soldiers. But he signed the papers. And the penalty was severe. Failed, he's out. It was, it was a big evaluation. So I'm with the Rambo guy. And we know this is happening. We saw that guy just two days ago. Failed, he's gone. And we're like, holy moly. And we go out on a ruck march. And we're on a 10-mile march. And we're on mile nine coming back in. And we can see the barracks. And that Rambo guy steps on a pebble, just so funny, and twists his ankle and falls and breaks his ankle. Breaks his ankle five days into training. So I see him, and I'm talking to him, like, hey, man, you OK? He's like, I, I don't know what happened. I was walking. Everything was great. I stepped on something, and my ankle is shattered. And I was like, dude, I, I don't know what to say. And he goes, I, I'm, I'm out. Like, so he, didn't, he had to redo all the training, wait a whole year to come back and redo everything and heal up and all this kind of stuff. He's like, I, what am I supposed to do now? I, I, I don't know. So we're talking about other things. We start talking about the Lord. We'll come back to that conversation. I tell you that story because this is the reality. In life, we're walking. Things are great. We feel like, man, I got it together. I mean, there's bad things happening for sure. We all have bad things happening. But generally in life, I'm okay. Mortgage payments are on time. You know, I got some friends. Life seems okay. And you get on mile nine of that 10-mile march, and it's a pebble that can shatter your ankle. It's 11 o'clock at night, and a weird temptation comes and just shatters you. It's Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, and you're late to church because you're fighting in the car. Let's be real. It's real, right? It's phone calls about regret and things that happened in the past that come up. You feel real strong until you remember what happened 20 years ago. You feel real great until the effects of sin that happened to other people come back to you. And the reality is this. Grace is not cheap because God hates sin like this. He hates sin like stoning a whole family because they became devoted for destruction because they were outside of the covenant, of the, of the people of God, of the covenantal and uh, righteous way that he had told them to live. They were no longer consecrated for him, but they had allied themselves with something else. And it looked like stoning the whole family. It looked like even the tent thrown in. It looked like even a year's salary thrown down in that place and destroyed. It looked like all those things utterly buried in stones and then burned with fire and then stoned again. Because God had said, there is a mark between what my people will look like and what those who are out of it will look like. And the truth of the matter is, for all of us, 
we're trying, we're trying our best, we're doing good things, I'm a good person, I haven't hurt anybody. I mean, compared to Hitler, I'm like doing awesome. I mean, I know I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm, I'm in the middle. Like my, my ledger is probably a little bit better than worse. Just don't count my 20s. Other than that, not bad, but one pebble. And the reality is, here's Achan who walked into Jericho and he took something that was told to him to not take it. And it reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. He went in the garden and the Lord said, you can eat anything, do not take this. And they took it. And the punishment was severe for them too. Because the Bible says the wages of sin, what's earned by sin, is death. It looks like Achan, it looks like Achan's family. As gross as it is, as awful as it is, as twisted as our stomachs get because we don't understand fully, because we want God just to be fun and kind and nice. Give us the manna. Don't, I don't want that stuff. But that's not who he is. And so what's the Lord's solution? The Lord's solution was to send somebody who did not look like Rambo. He sent a guy who was born in the feeding trough of a place in Bethlehem. What good comes out of Bethlehem? It's like Chicago. What good comes out of there? Just praying. Or L.A., you choose, whatever. Nothing good comes out of Bethlehem. And here's this guy born to this poor family, but he's in the tribe of Judah. He's in the line of David. And Mary, when she was asked, said, I don't know where this baby came from. Because the Lord came to me, an angel showed up, and she said I would give birth to a boy, and his name would be Jesus, and he was coming from the Holy Spirit. And, jo and Joseph, her husband, just walked with her. After he was convinced by an angel, they're visited by shepherds out in fields because myriads of angels come to them to proclaim the coming of the king of the universe who created all things, who would be born in the form of a baby, put in a feed trough. A couple months later, kings show up, maybe years later, little guy. These kings show up with offerings, and Mary is pondering all these things in her heart because who is this boy? Later she'll grow and she'll find that everything he says comes true because he created the world with the word of his power. He spoke the world into existence. And now if he just says one word, from any distance people are healed. Waters change to wine. With his word, everything changes. And it's like life suddenly, all the pebbles are being pushed out of the road. And everything that happens with Jesus is just perfect and right and good, and you walk with him, and it's, it's life everywhere he goes. He's feeding people with nothing. He's taking people who are unclean and broken, and their bodies are shattered, and he's restoring them back into the community. He's taking people with sin issues like Achan and bringing them back. How is that possible? It's possible because he has a destiny that's beyond just being nice. His destiny is that he is going to, like the new Adam, Take the punishment for sin. And what did the Bible say the punishment is? It's death. So the disciples are following him. Three years they're following him. And then he goes to this garden, and he's in the garden, and he's sweating blood because this thing is going to happen. And they hear him praying. Those who are awake, at least, can hear him crying out, Lord, take this cup from me. And it's not the cup of the blessing. It's the cup of God's wrath that he's going to pour out on sin. 
And Jesus is ministered to by angels. How amazing. What do you even say? Angels are going to come strengthen the king of glory for what's ahead? And then betrayed with a kiss from one of his best friends? He doesn't open his mouth to utter a word like a sheep before the shearers. He goes forward. And as he goes to the cross, all of God's wrath on sin, all of the stones, all of the fire, all of the anger is directed not on Achan and a family, but is directed on God's own son, who becomes, ready for this, a devoted thing. Because he's outside the covenant. This is Jesus, who everywhere he went, it's like birds sang brighter. Life was in his steps. And now, though he was innocent, he goes to the cross for us to die this kind of death. The Bible tells us that he became sin on our behalf. That the anger of God would be poured out onto him. What did it look like? It looked like this day, didn't it? It looked like horrible things. You know, the sun goes dark. Earthquakes are happening. Dead people rise. What do you even say? It's terrifying just like the Israelites had seen. And God's anger and his wrath and this kind of vitriol is poured out on the object of sin that's on that cross because Jesus took the punishment for us and died for us. The verse goes on, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God because he took all of us, one pebble, one pebble shatters us. One temptation fallen, one lie, one sin stains us and puts us into the devoted camp because we're against God's way. But he took the punishment for, for that to take us and make us righteousness in him and place us in him as new creations that we would know his peace, that we would know his joy, that we would know his life, that we would know him. Because the end of the story is not just that he died for us. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. The end of the story is not just that he dies for us. The end of the story is life again. This is the story of the resurrection. But on the first day of the week, verse 1, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on and on the third day rise, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of G James, and the other women with them, who had told these things to the apostles. But their words seemed to be an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose, and he ran to the tomb, and stooping, he looked in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. The truth of the gospel is this. A pebble, one sin, puts us into the devoted camp. You cannot, you cannot, even if you are as strong 
Rambo on steroids. Fight your way out of that battle to move from the devoted to the righteous. Because the God of eternity, he has your lot. He knows. He can take millions, draw straws, it'll come to you. He knows your heart. He knows you. He has you. You belong to him. There is no way that we can master sin ourselves. But the Lord Jesus died for us. He became the devoted thing. The wrath of God was poured out on him instead of you. And then he was put in a tomb and a giant stone was placed in front of it. This is an acor moment. This is a moment of gloom and despair because that place, just like Achan, had stones thrown on top of it. But God in his mercy rolled that stone away. And here comes Peter running up to hear the story of these dazzling beings who are declaring that he's alive. And he comes in out of the desert and into this cave. And it's like blinded by the darkness. And he sees the linens there folded. And he's marveling. What's happened? This is amazing. Because God had rose. Because Jesus Christ, who is our champion, who is our life, who is the same God who fought for the Israelites, the same God who brought them into the promised land, brings us into the promised land now of his redemption and his righteousness, away from being a devoted thing because he became it for us. I'm talking to that guy, Rambo on steroids. Big, giant dude. And um, foot was hurt. And I'm like, man, this is, this is bad. I said, I'm so sorry for you. I don't know what to say. He goes, yes, you know, it's really a bummer. I, I, there's nothing I can do. Like, it's, it's broken so bad. I said, I, I, I never in a million years would have thought this would have happened. He said, yeah. He said, I said, man, do you mind, can I pray for you? Just can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, that would be, that would be great. And so I, I said, listen, I'm a Christian. Let's just pray. So I put my hand on his shoulder, and I started praying for him. And I said, Lord, I thank you for my friend. I ask you, God, in Jesus' name, that you would protect him and help him. Lord, heal him, that he would know your peace. Two days later, he was healed. Two days later, he's healed. His leg was fine. Doctors are like, finish the training? Pain is the body's way of getting stronger? Right, go. They used to say that to me all the time. So he comes back to me. He says, dude, my, my legs, it was it was broken. And I said, I, I, I don't know, man. Praise God. That's the Lord. He said, can I tell you something I've never told anybody? I said, sure. He said, not a day goes by that I don't think about murdering my dad. Because he beat me and he beat my mom. And not a day goes by. What do I do with that? Sometimes God uses a pebble to break us down, to, to heal us. Because now this guy can come to the king of glory who went to the cross for us. Jesus Christ, God himself, died on the cross. He became the devoted thing because he takes those devoted junk out of us. And what does righteousness look like? It looks like walking with him. It looks like knowing him. It looks like standing in his holiness. It looks like resisting sin because of him. And then we fail, and what does he do? He still brings us to himself because his cross was enough. It was enough for all time. 
And so what do we do? We try to be steroided, big and great in my career and my money. And it didn't work for Aiken. It did not work for him. One year salary hidden was not enough to be right in God's eyes. And so we trust the legacy that I can do it right and I'm going to make it and I'm going to be okay. But what do you do with the devoted junk that's in us? There's only one solution. It's Jesus Christ. Because the stone was rolled away from him and he came out alive. And so I prayed with this guy and he became a Christian on the spot because God changed him. Not because he was the biggest, strongest, but because the Lord took the cross for him, because the Lord became devoted for destruction for him, and because the Lord took him to be his. What should you do with all these stories? Here's what I'm telling you. If you believe in Jesus, stop playing with sin. Stop playing with it. It is not cheap grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus was that God's own son died for us. And if you know as we come to this table today that there is sin, there's a devoted thing in you. There's something that's been there. And it may be a lifelong thing that's been hard. Then come and we will stand with you. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything gets better right away. It means that as we are walking in sanctification, the Lord is the one by the Holy Spirit who makes us look more like Christ every day. And if there is something that's come to your mind right now, then that's from him. And it's time to take that devoted thing and set it at his feet and say, Lord, not by me, but because of you. Forgive me. Because of Jesus, forgive me. Lord, cover it and let it be dead because of you. Let me stand in your life. If you're walking with Christ and you know him, then know his grace because it was for love that God went to the cross. He saw the joy set before him and endured the cross. Ready? For you because he loves you. Because you are his child. Because you are the one that he has scooped up and done all these things for because he wants to have communion with you. My little son Jonah, he's six, and I saw on the fridge last night, the kids have to do a, uh, the kids have to do a little speech. He's in kindergarten. And they call it the news show. So he reports in the news. And his report was about the bad guys of Star Wars. And so he said, this is Jonah reporting to you on the bad guys of Star Wars, also called the dark side. And so line one was, Emperor Palpatine is the baddest guy, and he is the leader of the bad guys. You know? And so I'm reading his little report, and the teacher, well done, Jonah, great job. You know? And so I was asking him about it, and how'd it go? And he's like, oh, yeah, I told, I told everybody about Star Wars. You know, it's so funny, because it's ridiculous, right? I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. For it, just because he did it. He stood in front of everybody, and he gave this little presentation, and he knows the good guys and the bad guys. And he wants to be a good guy. But he's just given the little report. And it seems silly. Does it? it just seems silly, right? Star Wars. But I'm so proud because that's my boy. And because he knows right from wrong. And then I see him on the trampoline helping his baby sister and just caring for her. And my heart swells with, wow, this is, this is my son. You know, God loves you. He's proud of you. You're his. And when you do things that you feel like are silly, but it's in him, and you stand in front of somebody and you say, I, 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 Jesus, Lord, I don't know. And the Lord says, yep. And then gives you the words and he communicates through you. And you are participating with the Holy Spirit to do God's mission on the earth. You're loving your neighbors because God loved us. And he looks at you even in those little moments and says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Put that on the fridge. That's it. He loves us. But if you're trying to overcome the sin yourself, a pebble is going to take you down. 
if you don't know Jesus today, if you've never known, actually releasing to him your life. Stop trying to take the devoted things and just come to him and say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. I believe in you. You died and rose again, and I'm going to trust you. If you do that and you believe in him, and it seems there's no money, there's no check today, no deposit, it's not a timeshare. Just believe in Jesus. Submit to him and say, Lord, I'm yours. It does not mean all the problems will go away, but it does mean you will know for the first time the pride of the Father as he takes you, no longer devoted, but now his devotion, that you belong to him.